Hey everybody, it's Jake Wiskirchen back with you on the Noggin Notes podcast. Today's episode is a little different one. I take you on a bit of a mental journey uh, through a flowchart. And let me tell you, doing visual stuff on radio is pretty challenging. Uh, so I hope it works and I hope you enjoy it and get something out of it. I thought it was fascinating, and as I uh, start to dig a little deeper into this model, I'm finding it uh, really, really useful. So I, I hope you find it useful, too. The show, as always, is brought to you by Zephyr Wellness. You can check out zephyrwellness.org and see what uh, the company that I co-own is doing and offering in northern Nevada. We, uh, we are about to celebrate our fourth anniversary, and I am just in disbelief that it's been that long. Uh, but I'm also very proud and I'm proud of our team and, uh, and I thank everybody for helping us along the way. If you're listening to this on dash radio, or if you've downloaded the podcast and you didn't know that we have an app, please download the noggin notes app. It's a great way to track your emotions and, um, and make notes about, uh, what your noggin is doing. Uh, when we first started out, I've kind of walked away from the, the tagline, but uh, Noggin Notes aims to educate and enrich your noggin on matters of all things related to behavioral health, psychological growth, emotional functioning, spirituality, mental wellness broadly, and uh, the app certainly helps do that. So if you haven't downloaded the app, check out the app. Without further delay, this is my podcast episode on how to identify emotions through your beliefs, and vice versa. I think you're going to dig it. And if you do, email us at info at nogginnotes.com or info at zephyrwellness.org. If you don't dig it, uh, just keep those opinions to yourself. <laughs> uh, no, but we do want to hear from you. If you don't dig it, let us know why, and uh, we can make some adjustments later. But in the meantime, enjoy the show. Today on the podcast, I wanted to talk about empathy broadly because it's something that's been on the forefront of my consciousness for the uh, last couple of weeks, uh, several weeks, I guess. And it's for good reason. It's not, it's not unintentional. It's because I decided to sign up to have my head shaved at the St. Baldrick's fundraiser. If you want to learn more, you can go to stbaldricks.org. And if you want to donate, you can go to renodads.com and click on the St. Baldrick's link and it'll tell you all about it. But essentially what we're doing is we're, um, we're shaving our heads in solidarity and in an act of, of um, open outward empathy toward children who are struggling with cancer. And that's what St. Baldrick's does. Is it, it takes that money that you donate and it, and it puts it toward cancer research, specifically for children's cancer. So it's a, it's a nice event, and it's, uh, it's full of fun little hijinks. And I've never done it before. I've wanted to do it. But you know, personal ego and uh, pride got in the way of <laughs> shaving my head, which it sounds a little ridiculous when it's coming from somebody who practices clinically and tries to set ego aside. But it's amazing. Uh, the lesson that I've learned in all this is how image can get in the way of doing something very real and meaningful for uh, lots of folks. And I, and I want to deliver that message to the listening audience in such a way that we we understand that in life there are sometimes choices that we make because they uh, promote our own self-interest, and then sometimes there are choices that we make because they promote other people's interests. And then third, uh, I think there are choices that we don't make based on both of those two factors as well. So the understanding is that we, when we make a choice, uh, sometimes we aren't aware that um, 
being ambivalent is in fact making a choice. So my ambivalence over the last several years of not wanting to shave my head and participate in this fundraiser was in fact a choice. And it was done out of uh, what I now have come to know is unconscious ego defense. And I'm not going to get into the ego in this podcast. Just just suffice to say that, that it, in the way that I'm using it now, it means the image that I believe people view me, uh, which is a little convoluted and complex, but it's what I think people think of me, and I didn't want to mess with that for whatever reason. And now today I've, I've arrived at a point, not that necessarily that I don't care, but that I want to care about what people think uh, intentionally. And if you listen to the Intentionality podcast, you'll understand what I'm talking about there is you know, it's the why behind the what. So what does that have to do with empathy? Well, empathy, broadly defined, is feeling as another person feels. And I've I've touched on this before in podcasts, and if you've if you've interacted with me personally, you know that I bring this up in supervision from time to time as well, and um, and also in the clinical setting. So, empathy is feeling as another person feels. And although I spend a lot of time talking about the emotions uh, and those feelings, this is not necessarily that type of feeling. It's really more of a if you were that person, how would they be experiencing the situation type of feeling. So. It's more of an identification, and um, I'll get into that in just a second. What I want to do right now is contrast empathy with sympathy, because I think what ends up happening a lot of time is we will, as you know, users of those words, conflate the two, meaning we'll we'll just use them interchangeably as though they both mean the same, and that's not at all the case. Sympathy is feeling sorry for somebody else, meaning you uh, you take pity on them or you're feeling their sadness on their behalf, uh, all of which are inappropriate and not helpful at all. So imagine if you're going through a situation and it's, and it's very tough, uh, somebody may come up to you and say, I'm sorry. Well, I'm sorry is an apology. So it's literal understanding or the, it's a literal definition is is to to make an amend and that speaks to the guilt shame function so if you're saying i'm sorry to someone for for example for their loss maybe loss of a pet or loss of a loved one or or whatever you say well i'm sorry i'm sorry that happened to you and and it and it feels a little bit hollow uh when you're the recipient and and there's good reason for that it's because neurologically it's very unsatisfying this, here's this person in front of you who's who's doing a guilt-based apology statement for something that they had no hand in. I mean, unless they, unless they killed your dog or, or your loved one, then, then probably an apology is appropriate. But, uh, assuming that's not the case and they, they would be in jail probably for that. Um, or at least like uh, doing a lot more than just saying, I'm sorry. Um, assuming that's not the, the case, there's nothing that they can do that the apology would possibly fix or reconcile. So, Saying I'm sorry doesn't help. That is sympathy. And and we see things like sympathy cards and expressing sympathies and, and we use phrases like this, but they're but they're really inaccurate linguistically and neurologically. So what we want to do is we want to lean toward empathy. Uh, we want to feel as the other person feels. So how does a feel a person feel when they lose uh, a beloved one uh, person or a, a pet? Well, they feel sad. And it and it also f- seems a little bit um trite, I suppose, to, to go to that person and say, okay, I see that you're sad. I validate that. <laughs> that's, that's too sterile. That doesn't make any sense. So what do we do? Well, we come alongside them and instead of doing this, uh, I wish you could see what I'm doing with my hands right now, but, but instead of doing this transactional back and forth where I'm standing opposite the person and I'm reaching toward them and saying, 
here's what I'm offering you to bail you out of your you out of your own experience. What I can do is come alongside the person and say, I feel you. I'm here with you and I'm not going to leave. That's empathy. And what you're really communicating is if I were you, I'd feel the same. Because truly at the end of the day, if you were another person, you would feel the same. There is no such thing as if I were you, I would have, you know, done something different or whatever, because that's just simply factually untrue. If you were that person, that's, that's exactly what you'd be doing. So you'd be doing as they do. So what we want to try to do is imagine what it's like to be that other person and then come alongside them and validate what they're experiencing. Um, the, the importance of this, by the way, is so that we can connect on a human level. The validation through emotional experience is how we uh, come together as people, and it does require intimacy, and it requires vulnerability, and it requires all those things I talk about in the emotional functioning series. So if you haven't heard that yet, please go back and listen to it, because it's it's crucial for us to be able to connect as as human beings in this uh, in, in our species by identifying emotionality uh, one to the next, uh, one person to the next. So, um, why, why does this matter? Why am I bringing this up? Well, first of all, I, th- I just think it's, it's cool to educate people on the difference between empathy and sympathy. So again, to capture, to recapture that it's empathy is feeling as another person feels and sympathy is feeling sorry for someone, which doesn't do anything. Like nobody wants your pity. That, that, that helps not at all. It's not validating. It, it doesn't, it's, it's shallow. It, it just doesn't do anything. But empathy, however, connects on a neurological level that suggests this person understands me, they get me, um, and possibly they can be, be of some assistance. And then what happens is that has a calming effect on the limbic brain such that cognition can return and then you can solve the problem uh, of what was created. And, and you also know that you have a, you have a friend now in, the, in this uh, trying time you know, to, to help you through the, the, uh, the incident or the issue or whatever it may be. I bring this up now because of the, the St. Baldrick's campaign. Uh, kids suffering from cancer don't want our pity. That doesn't help. They possibly want our empathy, however. And when I talked about the choice earlier, those children don't have the choice about whether or not they lose their hair when they undergo their treatments. It just it just happens. Hair doesn't grow when you're undergoing chemotherapy. A lot of things don't happen when you're undergoing chemotherapy, like um, lots of organ function doesn't work. And uh, so the outward appearance then, the, the, uh, the ego self, as I referenced earlier, fundamentally changes. And if you're a child, especially a child in pre-adolescence or adolescence, man, some of those uh, some of those experiences can be just incredibly challenging when you're dealing with peers who are teasing you that don't understand, or maybe maybe they're just doing, they're, they're scared, right? And, and these peers are, are attacking out of their own fear because they don't want to face the very real possibility that they themselves could be subjected to uh, some sort of disease or, or injury. And so what they do is they, in, a, in an effort to keep a distance, they'll lash out. And, and really that's what bullies do anyway. Bullies uh, bully because they are insecure about themselves. And so in no, in a, instead of building themselves up, they try to tear others down to their, their level of insecurity. So 
they don't have the choice. These kids struggling with this cancer stuff, they don't, they don't, they don't have the choice as to whether or not they lose their hair. I do. And I think there's a, a, a little bit of vanity that goes into that by saying, no, I'm not going to shave my head because I'm going to look silly in public to the people who, who what? The people who know you know why you shave your head. The people who don't know you just think you shaved your head. So let's set, get that right off the table. That's not even, that's a non-starter. Um, so who are you going to look silly to? Uh, people, let's, break it down to people who know you because they're the only ones who would notice a difference and possibly make fun of you or whatever. What an opportunity to have a conversation about that then, right? What an opportunity to build more empathy. What an opportunity to connect with more human beings on a very human level. That brings people to the table for the conversation in this purpose about raising money for children's cancer research. Maybe then you generate more donations. Maybe the donations actually fund the breakthrough to curing cancer. We don't know where this stuff goes. But what I do know for me is that for many years, my ego, my personal vanity, my own perceived self-image to all those people that I thought were more important than children struggling with cancer, they mattered more to me. My ego mattered more to me than did the possibility of curing cancer. I'm going to let that sink in for a second. And we do this every day of our lives, all the time. Every decision or non-decision we make is made out of some effort to maintain a, a perception or an ego view because we simply are scared to let go of what it is we think we know. This is a really obvious one. Shaving one's head is obvious to everyone. What's not obvious are some of the habit decisions that we make, some of the relational decisions, some of the impulsivity that we show out of, out of emotion, say anger when we snap at people or you know, yell at our kids. Those are less obvious to the, to the random wandering through public, but we still are making decisions in those moments based on a, on a predictability and a comfortability that we, we just sometimes don't want to change because change is very hard shaving one's head and going through that process of regrowing hair over the next, you know, four to eight weeks is very challenging. And it's going to come with a lot of conversations and some of it's going to come with some snide remarks and, and discomfort. And my self, my true self has to shine through much larger than my ego ever would in order to push past that stuff and have that conversation, have those chances to, to, communicate with people about what it is that I'm doing and the intentionality by which I'm doing it so that they then might actually believe that they can challenge themselves to overcome some perceived obstacle in their lives. It might not have anything to do with, you know, shaving your head and looking a little silly and doing a, doing a, a, a promotional thing for a, for a fundraiser. It may have something to do with addiction or any other habit that they're trying to break out of. Um, and if I don't do that with, with my own self, nobody sees it. So I can change all the habits that I want in my, internally in my life. Maybe it'll ripple through to, to some family members and friends. But if I do something big and bold and audacious and put it on public display, more people will get to see it. And more people might take a step back and go, you know what? If Jake can do it, I could probably do it. Because at the end of the day, we're all human beings. And if you're a human being, you possess human nature. All humans have human nature. Therefore, anything any human has done, you also can do because we all possess the same nature. So if I can do it, you can do it. It's just a matter of getting over that mental hurdle of pushing through your own ego, pushing through your own vanity, pushing through your, your discomfort to make the choice to, to make the change. Now, 
I have the luxury of being able to regrow my hair in a few weeks. The the kids don't. And and I think that's a point that that's not uh, to be overlooked. So while we're having this fun little thing where we're shaving our heads and it's March and it's cold and, you know, I, I give talks and I go on, you know, different uh, uh, committees and so forth. And, and I'm going to look different to those people. I'm doing it not because of a stunt for my own publicity's sake, because actually the, the, the last thing I want is to usually to draw attention to myself in some strange way. Um, I'm doing it so that I can have those opportunities to have those conversations about why my head is now hairless and then possibly recruit some people into the, not, not necessarily into even donating, but into the idea that they themselves can be bold enough and brave enough to change some, some thing that maybe they've clung to for years and years and years. I mean, some people just keep the same hairstyle, let alone take it all off for a period of time. So think about the, the impact of that habit that it has on, on somebody's personal representation in, in public, um, you know, people on TV, entertainers, celebrities, uh, politicians, they, they have this sense of, of self-image that I think a lot of times they, they don't think they can alter. And I believe we all get sucked into that, whether we're a nine to five office worker who never pops her head above her cubicle or the, you know, uh, governor of a, of a state who's always on TV in front of cameras or, you know, the celebrity who's, constantly taking photos for whatever magazines they're they're appearing in. I think we all have this idea that we, our image needs to maintain its its own static nature and that we can't change it. And and that's just patently false, but we we because we can change it. But what it also trickles out to is the very nature of the rest of our habits that follow in that same pattern. Uh, why don't you leave the job that you complain about? Why don't you depart from the relationship that's abusive? Why do you uh, continue doing habits that you don't like and you know that are unhealthy? Well, simply because it's comfortable. And sometimes there's an image to maintain there. Sometimes there's a role that you believe you play in other people's lives. So um, I'm going to take a quick break and um, our, our sponsors can talk. Uh, hopefully we have sponsors. This is an opportunity for me to recruit some if, <laughs> if we don't have any sponsors because I, I I'd like this thing to air, you know, in uh, in March before the the fundraiser, of course. But um, this is my opportunity to reach out. And if you're listening to this even after March of uh, 2019, when we happen to be doing this particular fundraiser, uh, please contact us at info at nogginnotes.com. And um, we'd love to to feature you because uh, this stuff isn't cheap, as it turns out. And I'm not uh, afraid to ask for money. And that's something else that I've recently broken out of. Uh, if you listen to this podcast a long time ago, I wasn't quite as as bold and honest about asking for money to sponsor this show. It is expensive. It does does cost money to to host these things. And um, and the way that I learned that was by listening to somebody else do it on his podcast. Uh, that guy's name is Doug Bursch. If you want to look him up, uh, B U R S C H. Uh, I figure if he can do it, I can do it. And there goes. Uh, there so goes the way of human nature. So we'll take a quick break and we'll come back afterward and we'll talk about uh, some listener mail that was texted to me. You're listening to the Noggin Notes podcast. Okay, we're back and I spent the last uh, handful of minutes talking about empathy versus sympathy, decision making and getting out of our own way in order to to grow and demonstrate that growth to other people and uh, humble ourselves a little bit in our own self-image. And I wanted to come back after the break, obviously, and talk about something different, which was 
uh, a, a fascinating concept that, that graced my uh, consciousness through a text message from a friend. Uh, this is this is kind of how I get my listener mail these days is people just text me ideas uh, or they pop up in supervision or in consultation. But um, he, he wrote, uh, would you say it's pretty common for people to put a lot into how much entertainment affects their view on life? I see people furious over sports, the Oscars, everything else, and it just makes me curious. And so I quickly shot back a reply to him. I said, I think it's more common than I give credit simply because I choose different company these days uh, than, than the company that gets riled up over sports and, and you know entertainment. Uh, but, but my answer was yes. I, I do think that um, it's common for people to put a lot into how much entertainment affects their lives um, or at least their view on life. And then I wrote, this is a great podcast topic, um, and I made a note of it. So, so now you get to, to share in this little brainstorming session that we had too. So I wanted to speak a little bit in this context to something that people refer to as faux outrage. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the term, but we have we have lots of faux things. And faux is a, a word for fake. It's, it's French. It's F-A-U-X is the spelling, but it's pronounced faux. And um, we have like, you know, faux furs and faux wood blinds, uh, meaning they're just um, representations of the original or, or their synthetic material. So people have said that there's there's faux outrage. And um, I don't think that the anger expressed in these um, outrageous posts or these po- these posts that, that express outrage to a certain thing is necessarily fake in and of itself. I think people are really angry when, um, you know, a, a referee blows a call or uh, their favorite actor doesn't win the award or whatever it is. Um, I think the anger is, is authentic. However, I don't believe that the origin of the anger is authentic. And what I mean by that is that we often have lots of emotion simmering just below the surface, and it and it's, it relates to things in our lives that are very real and we have not worked through. So an example might be a frustration in the job place or um, or maybe at home where the kids aren't uh, aren't performing academically and it's frustrating to watch them fail because there are kids and we want them to su- succeed. Or maybe uh, there's there's illness in the family. Uh, so these are all emotional uh, triggers that, uh, if left unresolved, just kind of fester. And as I've explained in previous podcasts, what ends up happening is if you have an emotion that you're not dealing with in its appropriate nature and you're not accurately labeling it and you're not embracing it and claiming it as your own and then processing through it and riding that wave, what ends up happening is you you have to direct that energy somewhere. And the, one of the easiest things to reach for is is anger. Uh, another easy one to reach for is contempt because we get to control whether or not we're angry or contemptuous at something or someone. And what it ends up doing neurologically is it gives the brain something to feel. So it stands in as a proxy emotion for what we actually should be feeling, which is the disappointment in the workplace or the the, the, the frustration with our children or the, the sadness and fear with the, the family illness or whatever it is. So uh, I might end up taking to Twitter to express my frustration or my my anger or my quote unquote faux rage about the blown call in the football game or the the fact that you know uh, an actor didn't win an award. Then I might do what's called displacing my emotional energy onto a different thing. I'm not I'm not actually like appropriately dealing with what originated my emotion. What I'm doing is I'm substituting it with something else. So I think what it does is is this faux outrage 
that we express on social media for topics that truly have nothing whatsoever to do with our personal lives. It, it stands in and it serves to be uh, uh, almost an avoidance of personal accountability. So I have to be personally accountable to the things that make me feel certain emotions. And in order to do that, I have to be vulnerable enough to acknowledge that they're mine, that they're created from my head, uh, live within my body and exist within my psyche, and then claim them, embrace them, and then uh, move past them. But if I'm not good at dealing with vulnerability or I'm not good at um, being intimate enough with myself to be honest enough to deal with what's really bothering me, um, I will just reach out into the public sphere express what I need to express as a, as a proxy emotion for that stuff and avoid my own personal accountability. So what I'm doing is I'm, I'm, I'm basically choosing to externalize my stress onto something that has absolutely nothing to do with my real life. And I think that this is important because I think we all do this from time to time. I know I, know I certainly have. I've been guilty of it in the past, which um, you know I've, I've chosen to stay off Twitter. I, I stopped Twitter some four months ago now. I'm recording this in uh, March of 2019 and in like late October, early November of 2018, I, I got off Twitter because I just realized I was, I was succumbing to everyone else's outrage and there's, there's very little authenticity behind it. Um, certainly, uh, there are events that unfold in life that we have opinions about. We have, we have political, uh, emotions and so forth. And, and that may be authentic. But I think by and large, when we're dealing with the entertainment industry, which is what my friend texted me, uh, that, that really has no bearing whatsoever on, on real actual life anywhere. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know where the, the, the overindulgent sense of injustice comes from when we uh, watch a team not perform well or watch a, an actor not get an award that he or she, uh, we, we believe, deserved because it's, it's so infinitesimal in the in the vast array of what it actually matters in life, which is you know loving others and helping and and um, uplifting and you know helping human beings, so um, I'm I'm not sure why that happens other than this explanation that I just offered, which is it's a convenient excuse to feel something because you don't you don't want to deal with your own life, and why that's dangerous I think is not only that it helps you avoid your own emotion and you're not really dealing with what's happening in your own world, but it also spreads negativity to other people. So a, a large part of the reason I got off Twitter was because Twitter is full of negativity. It's full of toxicity. Uh, people that are expressing their proxy anger, that's a stand in for what they're supposed to be feeling. Uh, and it's all way over the top too. It's not just, Oh man, this, this sucks that, uh, so-and-so didn't get the award or man, I'm disappointed that my team lost. Um, I'm not even sure how you could get validated, uh, in on Twitter anyway for that. You can, you know, I'm a, I'm a Nevada Wolfpack basketball fan. I'm a, I'm a fan of everything Nevada Wolfpack, but, um, you know, if they, they lost, if they lose one, one game, I, you know, I might post something online, but what am I doing? Where's my intent there? Uh, what's the spirit of intentionality behind posting my frustrations online about a, a basketball loss anyway? Like, what do I expect out of that? Do I expect people to commiserate with me? And then in so doing, am I really getting validated by watching other people say what I already know that they believe? I mean, if you're a fan of the team, you're also going to be disappointed. Like, am I asking for perspective or like it's it's really hard to express in 280 characters so i'm not even sure that there's value or worth in doing so anyway even if it's not faux outrage even if it's authentic outrage what could possibly be achieved through a twitter dialogue uh if there even is such a thing because i don't 
I mean, just listening to me ramble right now, I'm going much deeper with great, much greater context and nuance than any 280 characters could capture on, on Twitter. So I don't really know what people expect out of that other than maybe perhaps we're uh, reaching for proxy relationships. Uh, and I think that's the the third angle here is that when we avoid personal accountability, when we avoid personal intimacy, and we avoid being vulnerable, we no longer have authentic human relationships either. And that's dangerous because uh, pretty soon all of our existence starts to become artificial and we lose connectivity. Uh, and then we it, it's a short slip into us versus them thinking, uh, categorizing people as objects. Uh, and when people become objects and they lose their humanity because we choose to label them as Democrat or Republican or Dodger fan or Giant fan, and and we lose the depth of nuance and context behind the human being, him or herself, then we slide into contempt. And contempt breeds more pain. And then more pain yields more misery. And before we know it, we ourselves are caught in a cycle that we never intended to create all because we chose to express this faux outrage toward the, this thing that doesn't matter, uh, and doesn't impact my life. And, and, and before long, I've, I've just categorized everybody into labels that seem comfortable and familiar and predictable and, and easy to deal with. And I've skipped over all the, the depth and the, and the meaning of what it means to be a human and all my relationships just become very distant and arm's length. And I think that's very dangerous. I think it's a dangerous path to 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 start to walk. And uh, from my perspective, we're all starting to walk that path. And it scares the daylights out of me. Uh, I, don't, I don't think it's good. Um, I don't think it's beneficial. So I would advocate a return to perspective. I would try to keep entertainment in its place knowing that you can fully feel emotion. It's sad when your team loses. It's sad when the actor you expected to win the award didn't win the award. Um, And that's okay. It's a wave to be tolerated for a few seconds. It doesn't do anything at all in your own life. You're not the one winning the Academy Award. You're not the one committing the error that loses the game in the ninth inning. Uh, it's just this thing that happened and tomorrow's a new day. There's a next, there's another game. There's another season. There's another, uh, movie to be produced, another soundtrack to be uh, written and, uh, and composed. And I, and I think that, that if we keep that in perspective, we, it leaves room for us to feel the authentic emotion that's present in our own lives every day that we, we wake up and, and walk through them. And as long as we're living in our lives, we don't really necessarily have room to express uh, over-the-top emotional outbursts online about things that don't matter. And, and it keeps everybody a little bit tighter, keeps our communities a little bit more intact, and we have more authentic, full relationships with those, those folks with whom we, we interact on a daily basis, you know, face-to-face, our bosses, our coworkers, our kids, our families, our friends, our neighbors, and not somebody 1,800 miles away who happens to share an opposite opinion about whatever it is that really doesn't matter. I mean, is it, is it really worth wasting all that energy uh, and spreading more negativity and toxicity in the world that has a ripple effect of unknown depth and, and length and proportion? So I guess the long answer to that was just captured, but the short answer is yes, I do, I do think that there, it's common for people to overindulge in things like sports and entertainment. And, um, and I hope that, 
you as the listening audience take that into consideration before you send out that tweet, before you post on Facebook, before you repost somebody else's emotionally charged and probably quite shallow opinion, especially if that opinion is about someone else, a human being, not just a, a topic or an idea or a, or a policy. Uh, just keep in mind that there's damage that can be inflicted, and and you you you'll probably inadvertently end up causing more pain, even if that pain is through somebody's eyeballs watching your negative uh, post cascade through their newsfeed. So just just be mindful of that. Try to try to make your posts uplifting and encouraging if possible. Um, you know, if your favorite actor doesn't win the award, uh, say, "Man, I'm really proud of so and so, even though they didn't win. Uh, it was enjoyable watching him in that movie." Uh, and if your your team loses, say you know I'm I, I'm glad for the opportunity to be entertained in my home uh, through the miracle of uh, Wi-Fi on my Hulu Live, as opposed to you know spewing an, a string of expletives because the officials blew the game or whatever. Like like that helps no one, um, and it really doesn't even help you because you're inaccurately expressing what it is that you mean to uh, feel fully which is sadness, uh, not anger, or it's uh, embarrassment and not anger, or whatever it is. So that's my, that's my invitation to everybody, is to, to try to be as authentic and accurate as possible with your expression and uh, not inflict more pain into the, into the world with your social media posts. That's going to do it for today's podcast, and I, I'm glad you joined us. Thanks, if, as always, if you want to reach out to us, info at nogginnotes.com or info at zephyrwellness.org will get you in touch. And uh, we'll happily draw your topics and recapture them on this medium, if you uh, if you so desire. On behalf of everybody at Naga Notes and Zephyr Wellness, I wish you all great mental wellness. Mm-hmm.